0: So this is the Deal Junkies podcast. We wanted to get four guys who really like talking to each other together into a room. And uh, we're starting off by introducing Trevor, who is the youngest millionaire in the room. (laughs) Wait, wait. Who are you? Oh, I'm nobody. You got to tell everyone who you are. I'm Dane. McKinney. Trevor and I are business partners. We buy deals together. We broker deals together, and we help other people get into creative deals and investments. That's uh, our goal with each other, I guess, and with our, our clients.
1: So on the show today, we have Dane, we have Trevor Howard, Mike Nuss, and this is Gabe Johansson.
0: Sir. Sure. Yeah.
1: We're, and if we're you... deal junkies.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and some of us are just junkies too. But Oh, just junkies. <laughs>
1: Whoa,
2: <laughs> former, clarify that? former, <laughs> former junkie. That's
0: for episode three, Trevor. Wow.
3: It's getting real already. Hmm. All right. True yeah. story. I know a lot of ex junkies that are really good entrepreneurs. They know how to buy and sell. They know how to buy and sell <laughs> and hustle.
0: They're searching for a new form of dopamine. Right? It's true. It's <laughs> true.
2: Right. Cool. But do you want to give us a quick intro of, I guess, who you are, Gabe, and then you, Mike, and then we'll Well, do it a little more.
1: So we're going to introduce everybody to the host of the show. Um, Which show is this? Who are we going to introduce today?
0: This is the Trevor Howard podcast. This is Trevor I'm leaving Howard for
1: Jamaica next two weeks. So.
2: Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. oh, so you're not going to be here the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, year. yeah. So that's
0: what we had to So we got to I'll start. We,
1: so we got to talk about, about you. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's going to interview you? We need to ask you some questions.
2: Well, you and Mike, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right. the star of the show right now and you guys ask me questions. All right, so.
1: all right, okay. He's on the hot um, seat. So okay, so Trevor Howard, how old are you, Trevor? I'm 27 years old. 27 years old, and when did you get into real estate? When
2: I was 22 or 23, like a year or two right out of college. So you've been doing this
1: for four years?
2: Four years now, yeah. When would you
1: say you became a deal
2: junkie? Kind of right from the start. Like I was right on my very first house, I was looking at like Zillow every single day, like analyzing deals and looking at them. So I mean, right before I even bought a deal, I was just like underwriting deals and thought it was cool. Who told you to do that? Um, I mean, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad originally, and that was like my intro to real estate, and it kind of put the bug in my ear. Um, then after that, I just started looking stuff up on Google, heard about podcasts, started seeing people buying deals, started asking people in my network, like a couple people that own a couple of rentals. I'd take them out to lunch, see how they're doing it. Um, and that was just kind of, I mean, really the internet was the biggest thing, like just being able to Google stuff and see
1: podcasts mm-hmm. and see what people were doing. A lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. So who told you to read Rich Dad Poor Dad?
2: I don't know actually. I I was in college when I read that. So I I actually listened to it. I've never read it. I've listened to it a few times on audiobooks. Um and I just heard about I was a senior in college when I heard what podcasts were and then I, for some reason s- someone on a podcast mentioned the book. I just looked it up and it just like it just resonated with my thoughts.
1: So did you drop out of school while you were reading it? <laughs> no,
2: but I, I was I, I read it like Last semester of senior year, I don't think I would have dropped out either way. But
1: <laughs> so, so you don't necessarily agree with the you don't need to go to school. Hey man, those
2: those my first. I mean, I somewhat agree, but that was like the intro to the idea in that book. It wasn't it wasn't life changing at that time. Mm-hmm. It just planted the bug in my ear of like
1: people are doing other things and going and doing a nine to five sure. job. Sure. Did did it resonate with you when he says that that going to school they're just teaching you how to get a job?
2: Yeah, worked really well. I got a job right out of school. So,
1: <laughs> so what'd you get a job doing?
2: Yeah, I, w- I was an engineer. So I got a mechanical engineering degree, worked um, as an engineer slash project manager. We used to build like nuclear reactor structures and missile silos um, for the government. So we were doing like, I don't know, $300 million, half a billion
1: dollar projects. Well, so explain to us real quick, like in layman's terms, what, what exactly are you doing when you're designing one of these things? Oh,
2: someone else really smart designs them. They give the people less smart all the drawings and then we give the drawings to the workers who actually build it. And then we just make sure they do it on time and we enter some data into a computer.
1: So are you um, doing <laughs> calculations to make sure the building doesn't fall over or? No, 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 no. Um, so you're just like basically a, a messenger? Glorified messenger, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm managing
2: the project, so you're making sure stuff's on time, on track, on budget. Oh, okay, you're so, admin.
1: Basically, you're not the brains of the operation. You're no, no, just, no. You're the muscle. Not, not the brains. You're not the brains or the muscle. <laughs> or the muscle. I'm. Yeah, I guess I am the messenger. <laughs> you're the nerve. <laughs> you're the nerve. You're the nerve that from the brain to the yeah. muscle. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you did that for a while. You're you're working. You're making a little bit of money, mm-hmm. and you've got this real estate bug. So, mm-hmm. what 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 made you step into your first deal? How did you how did you make the leap that everybody says I want to get into real estate, but I just don't know how what was your move
2: yeah and for me it wasn't real estate starting out necessarily it was financial independence have you heard of fire fire i have but remind me what yeah it is. financial independence retire early okay this idea of you spend a super little amount of money you save a ton put it in like the s p basically you can live off four percent of that for a long time okay um so that was my intro on the front i read rich dad poor dad i was like that's cool didn't think about it that much, came across more podcasts of people talk about fire. And I was like, oh, that's easy enough. I can save that much. Um, I was living off like 12 grand a year, investing like everything else into the S&P. Because um, my plan was to save a million bucks over 10 years. And I was like, I can live off 40 grand a year. That's four times what I'm spending right now, basically. I'll be rich. 12
0: <laughs> grand a year total. Yeah. What does that include?
2: All the stuff that you need to live. Your, your rent, grand. your, dude, I, I went, <laughs> oh. okay, so me me and my buddies got a house, right? I took the room that had no walls. It was just the bonus room. I went to Home Depot for a hundred bucks. I bought drywall and all the wood and built the own wall so I could save like 300 bucks a month on rent. <laughs> like, What do you mean? You built a wall in your room so you could rent out the other part
1: of the room? Or no, what? no,
2: no, so I could have a room. Like there was no room that existed. <laughs> I made this into a room so I could rent it out to myself <laughs> or
1: less so there's there's something really critical to what you're talking about right now that uh you know I think everybody wants success, I think that's human nature, but there's something that not a lot of people want to do to get there, and that's sacrifice. And in anybody that you listen to that has has either, in your opinion, made it or they're they're quite successful. They always have a story of sacrifice. There was a point in their life where, you know, they were eating top ramen for every meal or they were, you know, walking to work or whatever, whatever the story is. There's always a point where you hear about they could have lived a better quality of life but they took a, they they took a period of time and sacrificed that quality of life for something further out i guess you'd call it delayed, delayed gratification. gratification that's exact that's exactly what it is and not i think it's also human nature to not want to delay your gratification you want what you want now so one of the things that robert kiyosaki writes in rich dad poor dad is that the difference between rich and poor people Is that exact point? Is that poor people buy luxuries first and rich people buy luxuries last? And so you, you, I don't know if you got that from the book or if you just did it out of instinct.
2: Yeah. So it's from all those different things compiled. Like I don't take something away. I'd say one time, like. I have to go learn about it over and over and over and hear the message like 12 times before it actually like sinks, sinks in. in. Yeah, and I take and run with it. It's so, like that whole FIRE community, like listening to that constantly, it's that's it's the same thing. Like you're not spending all this money. They're just not investing as well. Like they're just putting it in the S&P though is the thing. They're not putting it into real estate, um, which that kind of led me to real estate was like, oh, I'm going to do this shitty engineering job for 10 years. I can look to my neighbor i'm like i get to make five grand more and sit in this seat next to me the next year and i get to move up the next year and then eventually you make whatever 150 200 10 years later maybe or not and you're just stuck at like 100 or whatever it may be so i was trying to figure out how to do it quicker and then i'd heard about real estate prior like rich dad poor dad kind of been learning about a little bit and i heard about like house hacking which is you buy a house rent out the rooms or you buy a fourplex, live in one unit type of thing And then I started looking at that and I realized, like, oh, I can save way more money way faster and then start cash flowing and compound that wealth growth way quicker. So I think I can do this, you know, much sooner than 10 years. Um, And that was just out of need really i just did not want to show up to work and like do. it was just so boring like (laughs) i just didn't want to be there really like it was fine a fine job everyone was fine there but it was just not
1: boredom was killing you yeah it's not what i
2: saw like with my life like i just didn't want to show up every day and look at an excel spreadsheet even though that's why I do a lot of right now, but it's more, more fun Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, like but that. you get to do it
1: with Deals. Dane. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's better. Deals. And Dane's not smart enough to be an engineer, yeah. so yeah. you had to do real estate. So, being an engineer, one of the things that uh, really impresses me about you is the way your brain works, and you're always looking for efficiencies. And so, I think that as an instinct that I recognize in you. Um, from be- the beginning, like you just said, you wanted to find a way to do it better, do it faster. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is, is there any recommendations you can make to us on for those of us that aren't engineer-minded on how to constant be, constantly be looking for efficiencies and how to do things better so that we can arrive to our goal faster?
2: In terms of buying real estate? Sure, or? or anything,
1: just overall.
2: So, I mean, that's something I apply to all my life. Like, I'm always trying to improve all the different areas. Um,
1: What are all the different areas?
2: I mean, like, fitness wise, like my diet, like how I'm spending my time, how you're you're learning. Relationships is part of it, too. Um,
0: Step one is that you track everything.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've heard the thing, like, what you like measure like matters or what you track it's wh- whatever it is this, this is <laughs> where right we now. need dane <laughs> yeah dane,
1: well. dane's our guy at the computer who'll look <laughs> <Yeah>. up like <laughs>
3: all these motivational quotes for. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so if if you don't measure it you're not going to be so in other words you set a goal you want to find the efficiencies mm-hmm. y- you have an idea in your mind of that there's a better way to do it than what you're doing now But you can't figure out what that calculation is unless you're measuring...
2: Yeah, what you're doing and how you're spending your time. Like, I've done this even since I was, like, a little kid. So, like, in third grade, I started measuring... How many hours a day I practiced basketball, and how many shots I made at like all these different.
1: What areas. motivated you to do that? Third grade, you're nine years old. What makes a nine year old track their workouts? I read it in a book. You read <laughs> it in a book. What nine year old
3: reads a book? I wasn't reading books. Is <laughs> it what a comic book? Were book? You reading about tracking your workouts at nine. Years old? <laughs> Man, so, someone
2: else was doing it. Was they this had... men
1: Men's Health magazine, or no, no. where did you see this? No,
2: this was actually. Um, so it's local, this area, Matt Espinoza, he's just a basketball coach. In this area. His dad wrote a book about him and like all this stuff he used to do. Um, and I just saw it as an example. I was like, he has what I want. So I'll do what he did and I will get what he has. <laughs> like, And that's the same thing with the real estate too. You're just see- like someone showed you the example. And if you do what they tell you to do,
1: you will get the result. So every, I mean, when I was nine years old, I probably wanted to be a division one basketball player too, but that wasn't going to happen. I mean, so, I mean, you got you got to back us up here just a little bit. So <laughs> what gives you, What? where does this come from in your DNA where you're nine years old and you decide you want to- Maybe be I was asked,
2: 12. Nine might be off.
1: Uh, well, you said but. you're in the third grade. You weren't 12. <laughs> I, I don't know what age that is. But. Oh. <laughs> he wasn't Go tracking ahead. what grade it's he was, was in at that time. Grade, yeah. So you were young, regardless. You were yeah. younger than most people when you came up with a very big goal. I mean, you're setting goals for your life- quite a ways down the road.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you have like leadership in your life that you were looking after that were modeling these things or did you just innately have it in your DNA? I'm going to be a high achiever and I'm just going to live an aggressive lifestyle.
2: I don't even think I was trying to be a high achiever. I just saw like just one specific thing I wanted and then I saw someone else doing it and then everything adapted towards that. Like that's grown throughout time and I've learned what I was doing and applied it to other things. But it was just seeing seen by example someone doing something and me thinking, oh, that's pretty cool, and not knowing what else to do with my
1: time, basically, after that. So you see something you want, you mm-hmm. say, I want that, and now you, there's one metric. They've got something I, I don't have that I want to get, mm-hmm. and here, so I want it. Now what? Now I got to figure out where I'm at right so then we've got to figure out how to draw a line between the two and then to your point we've got to find a way to do it as fast and efficiently as possible
2: yeah and it's just one small step at a time because you know where you're at now which is a you know the end result which is z and then usually you don't know like c d e or f but you can figure out b usually and then the next you know step b, yeah what's my next step yeah and then once you know b then that pretty clearly shows you what c is usually and you just go slowly that ends up being pretty quick if you're consistently. Okay.
1: So you're a little kid and you decide you want to be a D one basketball player. Did you become a D one basketball player?
2: No, I played D three. So Oh, D three. Fa- it was a D3. failure. But
1: <laughs> why? You didn't track it enough or you weren't tall no, enough? Or what happened?
2: No, that was the other lesson I learned. It's not about how much time you spent, it's about efficient practice also. So like that's that's something I've been able to apply more later. Like I spent a ton of time doing this thing, but I spent so much time practicing the wrong things half the time mm-hmm. where I Probably could have played D one if I worked on like I was like 130 pounds. I should have worked on working out, not just shooting mm. the ball, mm. and learned how to do some other skills. Okay, um, but yeah, but overall, like, it helped me achieve playing college basketball. But
1: I've heard you know everybody always said practice makes perfect, but then I heard somebody say no practice makes permanent and so what you're pointing out is that if you're going to practice you better make sure you're practicing the right thing and oftentimes people aren't even mindfully practicing they're they are practicing but they haven't thought about what it is they want to be practicing and so they're practicing the wrong things just subconsciously, they're leading themselves down the wrong path. And a lot of that goes back to mindset and having negative thoughts. And, you know, I always say that worrying is praying for the wrong thing to happen. And if you're worrying all the time about something that's going to go wrong, you're actually going to manifest that because you're going to start practicing the things that it takes to get to the result you don't want. So to Trevor's point, you got to really be mindful about what it is you're trying to achieve. And then you've got to stay on track and you got to make sure you're practicing the right things. So so tell us, we'll get off basketball for a minute. So what if you were to pick one thing out there today that you're going to aim for that somebody else has that you don't have yet, what is it?
2: Dude. Oh, well this, I just signed up for uh, ultra running coaching. Um, so I'm trying to do hundred miles. So that's like the next thing.
1: Somebody's going to coach you yes, on how to so, run hundred
2: miles. And why I signed up for the coach was I learned, I could probably go do it on my own. It's going to be way less efficient. I'm not going to know all the shortcuts and all the tricks. Right. So if I go get a coach, I get to shortcut all of that and do it much faster and more efficiently.
1: So you're going to utilize his knowledge and expertise mm-hmm. to go practice the right things because you want to run a hundred miles. Yeah, I
2: think so. I just decided this last Friday. So, um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) last Friday you decided you want to run a hundred miles. That's
3: how the best entrepreneurs work. It's (laughs) it's
2: Friday.
1: Then
3: come Monday, it's time to roll.
2: Well, I put it on a list of things I wanted to do at some point. And then I read, um, Brian Murray's book actually, and he did this thing and I went and filled out what's
3: Brian Murray's book. uh, Brian,
2: Brian Murray is an apartment syndicator. He's buddies with Mike, um, and he had a book, he's written a couple of books about apartments and he wrote a book about his life and I went and read it and he did this like ultra running thing where you sign up and you run over 26 miles if you've never ran before and they follow you along with the journey. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I go on the website, fill out the little form to get more information about it. And then I talk, start talking to the dude on a Zoom call who's like the coach. Um, and then that's when I decided to do it because, um, I had it on my list of things to do anyway. And he was like,
1: Oh, you have a list of things to do long. And one of them is to run a hundred miles. Yeah. A list of things I thought would be cool to do at some point. Yeah. So we know now our, our host here, Trevor Howard has a screw loose. So there's some, there's something, (laughs) there's something wrong with anybody in my opinion, who wants to go run a hundred miles. Well, in. Is it multiple
3: screws? Like how do you define the screw? <laughs> there
1: might not be a screw at all. It might <laughs>
3: it's sealant. I mean, it's He's held together and... with plasma and super glue. <laughs> yeah. Well it's it's I mean, there's a lot of themes that you kind of pull out of it. One is interesting how you started your, your life on the fire route. Because I look at that as one of the most passive ways to live your life. And I don't think it's a great way to live your life. It's a great way to get started with financial education. But obviously, you're a person that can't like live passively. You have to do everything with intention, with focus. I think that's a theme, too, is you're, you're finding out what it is that you want. And you're focusing on that one thing. And I think another cool kind of something to pull from this is the coaching. So when you're wanting to be a basketball player, you obviously didn't get the coach that would have helped you become the D1 person. He would have said, You're too small. You need to work on this agility. You need to work on strength. You need to work on different things. Versus now, your approach to the ultra marathon is not only are you going to get a coach, but you're going to get a coach that's coached multiple people to complete that ultra marathon. And so you're getting much more focused on who it is that you need to become, but more importantly, who do you need in your arena with you helping you get there? It's really cool to watch you just grow over 27 years of living.
1: So let's go back to your real estate career. So it started out a few years ago and you did a deal. You decided you want to do a deal. Mm -hmm. And so tell us, tell us about your first deal. How'd you get in? Yeah.
2: First deal owner occupied loan was making 50 grand a year as an engineer. Um, All my buddies were living together. They were all engineers up there for the most part. Um, We were all living in the house together, paying whatever we were in rent. I said hey guys how about i buy this house over here you pay me a little less than you're paying in rent right now and i'll just own the house um so that's what we did and then i started living there for free basically and i was like oh this is really cool now that 300 dollars in rent i'm paying no longer even paying that so i save you know all that um, plus i'm paying down the loan all the other benefits of real estate um, and then I decided to do the same thing 10 months later, but I ran out of people I knew. Um, so, so
1: I filled it with strangers. So, so when you bought that first house, were, did you have in mind you wanted to be rich or did you just have in mind you didn't want to pay rent anymore? No, I was just trying.
2: The whole point of that was to save the rent payment so that I could put more mm-hmm. in the stock market kind of at that point.
1: Oh, okay. So you weren't going to get rich on real estate. You were going to get rich on the Dow, but you were going to do that by not having to pay rent. So that extra few hundred bucks you could throw- into the stock market correct do you understand the stock market no
3: (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a good strategy
1: (laughs) one thing i've learned dump all your eggs in a
2: basket you have no (laughs) hey man the guys on the podcast told me it's a diversified portfolio sp got 500 companies in it i was looking at historic i didn't understand the actual functionality
1: of all the companies but i understood like the running, so you're invested in all 500 companies, and these are companies that are big enough to be on the Dow, so what can go wrong, right?
0: You got to give them credit there, though. Charlie Munger, the late Charlie Munger, mm-hmm. piece, said, if you don't understand anything about investing, diversify as much as possible, right? Diversification said, the is more for you people. Understand. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, the more you understand, the less diversified you are.
1: Stupid or inexperienced. Yeah, yeah, I mean, inexperienced so you get started, right. you don't know what to invest in. You want to invest, but you don't know what you're... You don't know what your flavor of investing is going to be yet. So you start
3: sticking money in something you don't understand.
0: Did you guys ever throw money in the market? I
3: remember when I bought $500 worth of home store stock. I opened a Fidelity account, my 401k, and got in every single day, logged in and saw that eight cents up and eight cents down. It was the most pathetic part of my life, I think. I was so (laughs) vested into something I had no control over that had no impact on my life yeah i I check
1: stock price I mean I check not all stock prices but i I look at the market probably fifty times a day. I don't have a single dollar in the stock market, and it's one of my the main reasons is well the main reason is because I don't understand it um I don't know that anybody really does. there's probably some folks out there that know how to play it much better than I do um but i just don't I just don't get it. The other part is is because I am a junkie, as Trevor pointed out. Instead of getting on there fifty times a day, I'd get on there fifty times, you know, a minute, and I'd never be able to do anything else. And so for me, it's just not; it doesn't match up to my brain and the way I'm wired because I would, um, I I wouldn't do anything else. I think it's yeah. gambling; it feels like gambling to me, and I, I'm not a gambler. I don't like to go to the casino. I don't. I don't. I I can't make enough. I heard. I heard one of my dad's mentors once told me. He said he doesn't gamble because. He can't win enough to make him happy. And every time he loses, it pisses him off too much. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, where's the trade-off? In other words, the upside is not big enough it's to offset the downside, right? Yeah. And the thing is, you're always going to lose. And so I I don't know. To me, I sort of feel, I, I sort of get this gambling vibe mm-hmm. personally about the stock market. And I, I like Mike. I mean, you put it in a 401k, you let it sit, mutual fund, whatever. I mean, I don't know. It's- so, it yeah, doesn't I guess, seem to do much.
2: I kind of disagree. So I think most people, if you're going to do it properly, you got to do it when I was doing it at my age. So I was maxing out the 401k and all the accounts. So I could put, you know, 22 to 30 grand in those accounts. You do that for two years just and you just wait 30 years. You have a million bucks. Like the problem people run into is they start investing in it when they're fifty years. It's too late at that point. You're gonna get a seven percent return, seven percent compounded over your next ten years, isn't gonna do anything for you. All right. But if you so if you start it young, better, and yeah, you disciplined,
1: should, yeah, and you want to live on nothing, mm-hmm. you and put so all
2: your money in, you could still live on something. Like so, that's just I was gonna have a mill right in thirty years from just putting like maxing out my four hundred one k twice for two years and then not putting one more dollar into it. So if you're like you know, doing that for ten years straight, you could you'll have a okay retirement, but no one's going to do that. Starting out at age twenty one is the problem.
0: Well, I think Gabe's problem too is that he wouldn't be able to look away from it. You were I well, mean, were you looking at the market every day? And the
1: upside's not big enough. I mean, I guess unless you're going to keep doing it. To me, you put the money in. Okay, I have a million dollars in thirty years. Well, guess what? In thirty years, a million dollars not going to buy me anything. Hey, like, I, I
3: adjusted for inflation.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, a million dollars. I think I did. In- <laughs> We want to see, We want to see the model.
3: It we doesn't want to matter because he got smart along the way. <laughs> yeah, so I
1: sold all those since then.
2: Um, <laughs> oh.
3: Okay, you're not but, in the stock know, market also, anymore. Especially when you're with an employer that that matches contributions, like mm-hmm. just go get free money. Mm-hmm. And so there's value to that. And then there's the ability to turn it into an independent retirement account, have a little bit of control over it. And like when it comes to the stock market, that's my issue. It's a lack of control and, and retirement accounts give you a little bit of control back. So there's value. And I definitely don't want to poo poo.
2: Yeah. And you can, you can use it to buy real estate too. Like, so you can use it more creatively, but for most people, they just don't put enough money into it to where you can even do anything with it. So it doesn't matter. So
1: what'd you do with yours? You're not going to have your million in 30 years? No, I'm no longer going to have it. What'd you do with the money? Uh, I bought real estate. Oh, why? It was more efficient? Get you um, to go faster or what? Yeah.
2: I think at that point, I was actually losing some money with real estate, so I had to sell my my stock money. <laughs> oh, there. to that's feed the real estate? Exactly to feed the real estate. I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. <laughs>
3: yeah. I love he's being honest. I was wondering if he's going to be honest about that.
0: <laughs> well, don't say you were losing money overall. You, there were a few deals that kind of took you off the path. It was a
3: cash flow crunch that you made a, yeah. a, a strategic
2: decision. Yeah, and it just made more sense to sell that so I could continue to eat food
1: um, <laughs> and then feed that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So let's let's move on. So you did your first deal, it got you in, you you wanted to ha- not pay rent. You said 10 months later you went and bought another one. Mm-hmm. Where where's the story go from there? You just keep buying houses every 10 months or how what's the next progression? Where do you, where do you say, "Okay, this is it. I'm a real estate investor. This is what I'm going to" Yeah, pay. so after
2: I bought my my model with those was I was like I could buy at that time a three-bed home for like 400 grand or you buy like a five to six-bed home? once you convert the bonus rooms to bedrooms for like 450 so your payments are like 300 400 bucks whatever more but you have three more bedrooms right now like 800 a piece it's way more cash flow so i buy those two houses i'm learning how to manage tents and fill it with like just working professionals in those areas um and then i'm making like living for free still and cash flowing like 2400 or 2500 bucks a month right wow.
1: you're making almost as much as your I'm, day job
2: yeah i'm making like half of my day job and then that cover i'm still living off 12 grand so now i'm retired like i was like i just completed my 10-year plan in (laughs) two years in 10 months (laughs) like so like that because my whole goal was to have enough passive income to live and do whatever i wanted so i literally didn't have to technically do anything at that point because i doubled the amount of money i
1: needed so why didn't you stop um stop buying stuff or stop why don't you i mean if you hit your goal yeah, and then you're done. Like, why not just retire right then? You're 24; good time to retire. Fire,
2: you know. I did for a little bit. I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I played basketball every day and did nothing for for a little bit there. Um <laughs> Do you bored or? No, that was actually really fun. Um, oh, okay, but I was continuing like read and learn real estate stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then I was trying to figure out how to buy more. Um, people were asking me what I was doing, so I got a real estate license too. At that point. And then I brokered like three deals my first month, which was like more than half my engineering salary. I was like, oh, this is way better. Um, so I quit my engineering job. <laughs> oh, to go be a real estate broker. To go be All a right. full-time real estate okay. investor. And How'd your parents broker. feel about that? <laughs> uh, they weren't thrilled. Um, <laughs> I mean, most parents are, you send your kid to college, they paid for like half of it or probably more than half of it. Um, and an engineer is like a cool job they get to brag about and a yeah, real estate my broker kid, my kid's
1: an engineer yeah, yeah oh, that, now, now you're a real estate broker
2: yeah right. and i've done no deals and <laughs> yeah so so they weren't super thrilled and they told me not to do it um they told you not to switch oh yeah everyone told me not to mm. switch why um because they're like you don't make any money doing that you're an engineer like that's a career mm. and i'm like i want to buy houses like
1: <laughs> and they didn't think they didn't think that's a good way to make money Is what you're saying?
2: No, and no no one that's not investing in real estate understands it. So like everyone I asked around me at that point, like they all told me not to do it. And then I go sit down with a dude who owns some house and he's like, that's a great idea. You should definitely do that. Mm -hmm. And then that's the dude who has exactly what I wanted. He had all this real estate. He could go meet with me at the same time I could at that point at any time throughout the day. He
1: had complete freedom of schedule. And so I just wanted what he had. Here's a very interesting part of your story is you were looking for people who had something you wanted. And oftentimes in your circle, your parents, your siblings, your friends, uh, they'll tell you not to do something you want to go do, but they don't have what it is you're looking for. So you don't ever want to take advice from somebody who doesn't have what it is you're going after. Just because they're your mom or your dad doesn't mean they have what you want. They love you and they're looking out for your best interest. They're also coming at it from a fear perspective. They're afraid you're going to, you're going to screw your life up and you're going to, you know, go off on the wrong path or whatever, mm-hmm. miss out on the opportunities that you could have had this very stable lifestyle as an engineer, making the same amount of money every month and gradually increasing over time.
2: Yeah. And the only reason I felt comfortable doing that too is because I had all the passive income to cover all my living expenses. So I was like, the risk to me was almost nothing. I just go back to an engineering job, worst case. Sure. And like, so I essentially had no risk and everyone's like, no one could picture that. I was like, what is my downside right now? I have
3: none. That's the beauty about your age group. For anyone that's in their 20s, it's the time to go take on that level of risk. I think there's like another distinction in how you look at real estate, and this kind of goes with the environment, the people we surround ourselves with. The majority of our society looks at real estate as an expense. It's the biggest expense. It's the biggest purchase. It's this huge mountain you need to climb. I think that people that we hang out with, they look at real estate as a printing press right so that piece of real estate is a way to create income passive income capital gains whatever it is and so the acquisition strategy isn't about spending money or climbing that mountain the acquisition strategy strategy is creating income and so when you have that distinction you look at it a different way it just changes your complete lifestyle around it the conversations that you have how you look at it how you're going to live as well and so how did you navigate that conversation with your parents about now I'm going to change my direction in life which is part of an identity question with them part of it is a confidence question with yourself um you want to unpack that
2: yeah uh i'm trying to think back on i i think i kind of just did it um because <laughs> i was i was living on my own at that point too so it was just like i i see them at the holidays and whatnot so it was just something I did. And the next time I saw them, I just told them, this is what I did. <laughs> you didn't give them a chance to give you any feedback. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't think to because it, it was just like I wasn't asking them for advice on it also just because they weren't doing it. So I didn't ask them like I, I did at the very beginning. But then once I saw other people doing it, I just kind of had my answer and I knew that that was the way to
3: get what I wanted. So I didn't really ask them about it. It's the it's exactly how you navigate the city or bureaucracy when you're trying to get a permit. You ask for <laughs> forgiveness and not permission. <laughs> so, if there's any, just ask for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission.
0: Just insert a disclaimer there. <laughs>
3: so, on our
1: team, we call Trevor uh, Trevor GPT. So, for this podcast, he's our he's our spreadsheet guy uh Mike and Dane are a lot more analytical than I am as well but Trevor you're you're an engineer mind you're the one who you build our our models our spreadsheets and you love numbers and you love to dig in and look at a deal so uh talk a little bit about you know if you're not coming from that mindset and you're not good with math or you're not good with numbers you're not an engineer you want to do deals Um, is it hard to get into a deal if, if somebody doesn't have your expertise and your brain?
2: No. So, I mean, I see people do deals all sorts of different ways. How I did it now, I did not know how to at the beginning. Like I didn't know how to underwrite a deal. I didn't know what like the rents or any of the expenses were. Like I started out the same as everyone else. So like all I did to learn was read a book that told me how to do it. And then it said, practice this 10 times a day. To look at 10 deals and fill out these specific numbers. And that's kind of how I started with it. Um, granted, we see a lot of investors today that don't run numbers at all and they just buy deals and real estate is super forgiving over a long period of time. So over
1: a long period of time. It's like a bad it's... haircut. Yeah, exactly. No deal is a bad deal. Some of them just take longer to be good deals. <laughs> hold on that <not> much longer.
2: <laughs> as long as you can hold it. Sure. But so like I've worked, seen guys who own like hundreds of
1: properties and they don't run numbers at all. Like. So when you say run numbers, like give us an example. What does that mean? You're, it's just income expense. You're looking at your income,
2: your expense, your projected expenses coming up based on the condition of the property, what your debt stack is, when your debt is due, um, rent increases, is there upside in rents? Because you can buy a deal, you know, that's losing you money today and can make you a ton of money in the future. Like, you know, there's so many different ways. So
1: when you build a model, what's the goal? Are you trying to sort of see into the crystal ball of where you think this property might be? down the road in the future?
2: Yeah, so I'm trying to look, I'm trying to look at yes, where it will be in the future, but I'm trying to base on as much of today's information as possible and not project future increases. So like we're, I mean, me and you, we're trying to buy a lot of value-add property, so that's easier to do because we know what, we can get today in rent. So mm-hmm. when you buy something under market rent. I'm not assuming it's gonna be so much more. There is some of that that
1: you take into account, but. So if you can, if it's got a $900 average rent roll and you know it should be 1,200. You can buy it, especially if you can buy it off of the numbers of 900 at a lower price, go in, raise the rents, and then you just have to look to see what's it going to cost us to improve the property enough to get to that market rent. That's what I always say is like, I think a lot of people think that what we do is, is gambling and is very risky or speculative. But the reality is, is we're just looking at what we can Take today that hasn't been recognized already by the past owner. Operate it better, put more investment into it, and run it at a market rate to, so that we can realize a better value for the property.
2: Yeah, I agree, but I, I think we are gambling. But that I think investing is gambling. Where's
1: the where's the where's the roll of
2: the dice in your opinion? So, well, that's the difference. So, I think gambling and investing are the same exact thing, but we call it investing because we think the odds are in our favor. So that's the only difference between us and you know, doing what we're doing and going to the craps table and just actually rolling dice. I I feel,
1: yeah, if we're gambling, I feel like we're the, we're the house. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Well, because you mitigate risk. And that's the beauty of real estate is you create asymmetrical returns by mitigating risk, by educating yourself. And that's where this whole arena through this whole conversation started is you were willing to educate yourself at a a young age to get where you wanted to go. And so you talk about the guys who just don't even run numbers anymore where they don't need to. The reason they don't need to because they bought enough real estate. I've seen that deal 10 times. <laughs> exactly. I already know what the numbers are. <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, or like, hey, I just bought this one. This one's right in line. That makes sense. Or I bought one five years ago. This is just like that. And so um, there's this level of experience that now you can pull literally the amount, all that risk out of it by knowing what it is, what it can be, and more importantly, what's it going to take to get there? And then hopefully you don't have a 2022 and have marketing market conditions change faster than they've ever changed before to mess all that up but even the, again then if you have an experienced relationships You can navigate those things, which you can't. So it's everything you can't do in the stock market, Mm -hmm. right? Like in the stock market, you can't go get a discounted piece of real estate just because you talk to the actual shareholder and they're willing to give you a slight discount. Mm -hmm. You can't go, well, I didn't pay cash because I met this one shareholder that was able to just sell or finance it to me, right? So all those things that you can't do at the stock market, you can do in real estate, which is what, in my opinion, makes it so beautiful. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I think love that's the key
0: it. difference between gambling and investing. That should be there's a lot of similarities, but control over outcome that you have in real estate was why I got so hooked on it. Because mm-hmm. I started in in investments, I was a part of a f- private wealth advisor, and the the reason I didn't love it was because it wasn't tangible and it wasn't I I couldn't see what could be improved about the things that we were investing in, and so I think that's the biggest thing in your mind why you like value add real estate is it's like no 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 I know exactly what I have to do to make this work, assuming all of these other variables stay relatively constant.
1: So, so let's talk about where you're at today. How many doors do you own? What, what are your goals? What are your, what are your favorite ways of, of putting deal structures together? Where, where's Trevor today and what does the horizon look like?
2: Yeah. So I own about a hundred rental units. It's like a 17 million ish dollar portfolio value with partners on pretty much all of it um interesting thing about goals so i've been trying to figure that out so when i started out my goal was to financial independence right then my next goal was to become a millionaire then my next goal was to buy 100 units and i realized the other day i didn't set another goal again past that and i was having a lull with like what i was doing and i think it was because i didn't come up with another like thing i was targeting again within real estate um So that's something we've been talking a lot about is like what to aim for next. Um, What is it? That's, I I think setting- (laughs) How big is it going to be? Yeah, and I don't know. Well, I would love to hear your thoughts on it, Mike, but setting something too large, do you think that's a problem where it's like-
3: No, I- (sighs) I've gone gone back and forth. I think people need to have two types of goals. They have realistic ones that are attainable, that are really action-based, that are, I'm going to accomplish these actions. And I think it's the big one to think of what are the actions I need to take to become the person that meets that goal. And then what that does is it shows you today where you're deficient and who you need to become. So I think the bigger goal helps you kind of create the vision for a path that you don't really know what it is, but you know where to start making that next best step and meandering down so you can work on that human being. But at the same time, like, you know, you need to have some other goals that are like, hey, these I need to check off. Cause if you always have something in life that you're not checking off. Then what are you working for, and how do you have those wins that you can celebrate?
2: Yeah, because that—that's the thought. Because you, Gabe, always tells me I should be a billionaire eventually, so I always want to set it um, to that. But I don't think that's so far out where that's a hard like target. Where I'm thinking like I need to set these like you know ten million dollars first, and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Maybe you just need a billionaire coach who can tell you how to get there faster. That, is, there a, is there a book about this? There's probably a few of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. It's like running 100 miles. I'll never run 100 miles. I think becoming a billionaire sounds a lot easier than <laughs> ever running 100 miles. <laughs> 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 so let me ask a question. Mike, Mike said something. He said uh, so that you can celebrate those milestones. How do you celebrate when you hit a goal?
2: I th- so the first goals I set were out of desperation because I didn't want to be in my current situation. I realized i felt no different every single time i did each one of them and it was just a moving goalpost. so that made me and i have guys like you and all these books i read where they're like you got to enjoy the process along the way so now it's more so about like yes that's the goal but you have to like what you're doing the whole entire time you're doing
1: it basically so we're deal junkies we want to go do a deal Mm -hmm. but you close the deal and for about two seconds you go yeah we did it and then you go like Oh man, we got to go find another deal. I mean, so there is sort of this mirage aspect to it that we know we we sort of get off on it for a second, but it's not a high that lasts very long. And so I I would suggest to you that each time you hit a goal, you should uh you should do something, you know, you should whatever it is, buy yourself a something nice or for me it was always I would set a goal really high and then i would say i'm going to go get my dream car or i'm going to buy a rolex or i'm going to do whatever when i get to this this stage to sort of commemorate it i'm i like toys and so for me sort of the instant gratification the way that i can delay that is to know like one day I'm going to get this and I'm going to reward myself for doing it. I think it's really important. And so I'm not very good at the actionable goals like Mike is talking about, where I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do each day to get closer to my goal. But I do have a very big goal and I feel like I have sort of milestones I know that I'm going to have to hit along the way. And I typically, I, I will typically have a toy Dangling it's a carrot, right? <laughs> I have to have some motivation, like just just doing it isn't enough for me like i and so I'm like you, if I don't have the carrot dangling, there's got to be something more, and like you said. It's never gonna be enough. There's always gonna be something else. So you can if you're aiming out there and you're saying, well, you know, I want to be a billionaire or I want a private jet or I want a Lamborghini or whatever, you may go, Well, that's so far out there, I don't even know where where what my next best step is. But if you go like, I know that I need to put five hundred thousand dollars in my pipeline this year, or I know that I need to buy six deals this year, whatever that is. I think that it's important to give yourself a reward and say, or whatever motivates you. I mean, everybody's, everybody's wired different, but I think it's fun to have something out there where you go like, you know, at least then instead of just having that two second, like, woohoo, now you can look down at your wrist and go like, yep, I did it. It's a reminder to you, you know, whether it's that house you wanted or that trip you wanted to take, whatever it is, there's fun things you can do with money. It's fun to have money and do the things you want to do. Why not reward yourself at some point? I guess what I'm getting at is like, we're trying to say, let's not have instant gratification. Let's have delayed gratification. But if we delay it and then we delay it and we delay it and we delay it and we delay it, when are we ever going to have the gratification? Let's have some grat. Let's have something let's otherwise at some point for me i'm just gonna give up i'm just gonna be like well it's enough i'm cool i'm done see you guys all right i'll get a new prius if i <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice, though. is your prius paid off yeah
2: how many miles are on it uh like 130 150 something what, like that i don't
1: know why do you drive a prius it gets like 50 60 miles a gallon uh that originally yeah that's why i got it's it it's not because more people like you because you drive a prius because people hate prius drivers <laughs> i had one i love priuses i know but people hate you when you drive a prius they'll just flip you off because you're driving a prius as you drive down the road i thought it was just a cool looking car so that's why i got it oh you thought okay yeah you believe that dane <laughs> that's another screw so, loose. <laughs> so, so when so when you hit your next goal what's your next goal have you picked it yet?
2: That's why I just said. I'm oh, you want to us to out. help you pick it? <laughs> I
1: mean, I wait, mean. I got to back up for a second. Did you say Trevor's a millionaire or multimillionaire? millionaire? Yeah, yeah. Multi-millionaire. And he drives a Prius. Yeah, yeah. A 2010 yeah, actually, Prius. You
0: should, you should go back to. I think when you stopped tracking your $12,000 a year, you should start with what you were eating and then what you did after you stopped tracking.
2: Well, I I think to back up before that (laughs) a little bit more to make it helpful for people to see, like, how did I go from this jump of like two houses, right, to 100 units that Mm -hmm. people can't comprehend that usually. The the next steps of that were because I quit my job, too. And my whole plan of buying a house a year at that point was was done. I couldn't qualify for loans anymore. So. I was like, "Oh shit! Like I can't buy any more real estate Oops, anymore." Did like, you my- figure
3: that out after you quit. Yeah,
2: my full time, my plan. Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. Smart guy. Again, a coach might have kept. I'm going to quit to go
1: mistake. buy real estate. Yeah. Oh, now I can't buy anymore because I don't have a job. I was a
2: full time real estate investor who couldn't buy any real estate anymore.
3: You could have been the first soft
2: quitter ever <laughs> pre COVID. You didn't model that one out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, at that point, like, because I was reading the things and. You know, learning still. I figured out, like, oh, I don't have to buy real estate with these loans. So then I came up with the idea of, like, oh, I could partner with someone who could buy a fourplex at three and a half percent down and we could just split it 50 50. I was like, I have 1.75 percent, easy enough. All my friends are engineers, they see what I'm doing. So I started doing that, right? Buying deals that way. And then I started going into banks too, because I was reading about buying apartments from people and books I was reading. And they're like, You don't need money. You don't need this. You don't, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. So I started walking to banks and I was like, this is my understanding of how I can buy an apartment. How can I buy an apartment? And most people would just laugh and kick me out. Um, But I'd get the meeting every time because I'd read enough books that I like knew the lingo of it. Um, Except for one dude I met with is how I got connected with you. I went and sat down with this banker. He answered all my questions. He's like, you got to meet this guy, Gabe, down in Salem. Like he likes young guys who like real estate. And I was like, sweet. Then I went to lunch with you. Showed you how I was trying to buy like a, I was trying to buy like a ten to twenty unit at that point, and I was going on apartments.com to find the, the owners of apartment buildings, and then I would go Google the address on the tax records, and I was show, then I would write them a letter, and I was showing you how I was doing that, and you're like, why the hell are you doing it that way? Like just call. <laughs> so S- efficient, yeah. So just, efficient, yeah. Just call escrow, and they'll give you a list of everything you need. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, you just sat there with me for like. Two, three hours answering. I asked you probably like hundreds of questions yep. and you just told me exactly, you answered them all, which just gave me the information I needed to go buy more deals at that point. Um, so I just did what you said, went and bought a 16 unit, um, found it off market, put it together with some partners. And then I actually saw you were, your name was on something and I called you back. Um, because I was trying to buy another deal and I think you were selling or it was in your office, I think, but your number's on all your listings. So I called you and I was like, Hey, by the way, like thanks. I just closed on this thing um after I met with you because you gave me all this, you know, all this advice on what to do. Um and I think I think the big part from when I met with you, I don't know if you'll remember this, you sent me an email like after I met with you and you I think you picked up on that. I was looking for like there is one specific answer on how to be successful with this. And you told me there is no silver bullet or golden bullet or something like this. And you wrote me out like these are all the things that have to happen. And like if you
1: do these things, you will be successful type of thing. Um, Do you remember that? I think you posted that on Facebook. I don't remember writing it. But yeah.
3: Yeah. Framework on success. What what was that? Framework on success.
2: Yeah. It was was just like an incredible. An encouragement from someone who I saw that was already doing it that told me I could do it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why would he lie to me about it? He already knows what it takes.
1: So I had something you wanted and I was telling you, you can have it too. Mm -hmm. And for you, that was an important uh, validation that you were talking to somebody who had done it, who was telling you it's possible rather than. Yeah, I did it and I'm awesome, but I don't know how you'd ever do it again, which is what you get sometimes from folks, you know, or they just don't want to take the time with you or they don't want to share their secrets and they'll just go like, yeah, yeah, I bought a bunch of deals and, you know, in today's world, I'm just not really sure. When I got in, I was I was not as smart as you to go out, pick up the phone, go to banks, call people. I didn't have the guts to do that and or the wherewithal to do it. Um, and so I was just asking the people that I would come across. I, you know, I want I got in, I broke into investing through, uh, brokering deals. And so talking to owners and, um, and to other brokers. And really the answer that I got, uh, more than once was just like, yeah, I'd say, I don't really want to be the best broker. I just want to own buildings. And people would go like, well, good luck. I don't know how you do it in today's world. Like, I mean, that was kind of the answer that I yeah. got. And that, It ticked me off, but it also gave me motivation to go like, okay, well, I'm going to show you. <laughs> and then as the time went by, I bump into those people they are like, wow, now you have 10 times more than what we have. And we were telling you that you, you know, we didn't even know how you would do it. Well, they didn't know how you would do it again. I don't think they were being mean or trying to withhold information. In their mind, they just hit the cycle, right? And they got lucky and they achieved whatever they achieved and they didn't know how to tell me to go get it. I just didn't see the world that way. And so I'm, I'm glad that that passed on to you, Trevor. And I think that one thing to point out, I'm, I like to mentor people and I, this is what we're doing right now, I think is super fun. I love, I love this part of the job, but I spend time with, um, hundreds of people and I've had that two hour meeting with maybe thousands of people. Trevor was one of the first people that ever picked up the phone and called me six months later and said, I actually did what you told me to go do. And now I bought another property or two or three or four, whatever you had bought. I think you had a couple houses when I met you and you had 22 units when you called me back or something like Mm -hmm. that. And so the impressive thing is, you know, you can listen to a lot of podcasts. You can read a lot of books. You can get a coach. You can do all these things. But if you don't act, if you don't, if you don't take action, that's one, that's a Napoleon Hill thing is that Action is the highest form of intelligence. And I and I saw that in you when you called me six months later and said, I did it. And then my answer was, Come with me. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's I, I'm really like that you touched on that. My mind was going to the same spot and then seeing because I've been in the same Boat. I've given out thousands of hours and then you just never see that person again. Um, I got to imagine, I want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine that whatever it was that you were doing that day when Trevor called you back, how awesome it was, whatever building you had just bought. The conversation with Trevor was probably more memorable than 100 percent. Yeah. And then the. The feedback and then the the reinforcing actions that then that creates. So now you're doing a podcast together. Dane starts joining the team. Trevor's got his branches of mentees going out. And now you see that then community start where now everyone is truly a short, sword start putting short scenario. And all it took was someone that was willing to ask a question and have the guts to ask a question. Most people weren't. And then someone who's willing to give the time that most people aren't willing to give. And I think those two things, when you're willing to put in that extra little bit of time, when you're willing to get uncomfortable and ask a question, you're not wanting to a- ask It's when a lot of things can really come out of life. and becomes beautiful. Yeah. It's a good way to
1: put it. All right. Where from here? What else do you want to tell us before we end this episode about Trevor Howard? By the way, our host and the founder of Deal Junkies, the podcast you are now listening to, episode one.
3: (laughs) Soon to be registered trademark.
1: Sponsored by (laughs) SMI. Trevor's even got the... The shirt on it. Where's the pink? I mean, purple, <laughs> yeah, <magenta. laughs> We knew you were colorblind. Mike. So we, did, we did black and white for Easy you today. Test.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we can dive more. Uh, what was your question?
0: Uh, I want. I wanted to go. What What happened when you finally hit that goal, and then didn't have? I think you had a stage where you didn't really have another goal, so you stopped tracking expenses. And I think that's oh. a funny part mm. of your story. No.
2: Yeah. So that that wasn't. <laughs> So I read a bunch of books, right? I I was making money. I had a bunch of money in my pocket in the bank account. I was feeling really great. I was like, I'm retired forever. Never have to do anything again. Got 100 units, have all this cash. Um, So I was reading all these books about like, how do you find happiness and whatnot? And it's talked about like not tracking your expenses so closely and being such a cheap ass, basically. So I was like, okay, let me try this. So for a year, I stopped tracking my expenses. A full year. Were, Were you happier? No, it it caused so much misery at the end of that year. What I should have done is a month or two. I was like, so for the full year, I was like, I'm just going to buy whatever I want and not track it. But I was so new to investing at that point, it bled into my portfolio at the same time. So then I couldn't get my my outlook of where my portfolio was going. And that's okay if they're all stable, but not when you're doing value-add properties. So the combination of that plus buying a bunch of properties at the same time plus doing a few bad deals um, yeah
0: so you went from spending $12,000 a year to how much did you spend in that year oh
2: dude it was it was over 100 um
0: and that was just on personal
2: well I, imagine so i went from living for free to now i paid like 1800 bucks in rent or 2 grand in rent right and then like you you can stack stuff up pretty quick i went from making all my own food mm-hmm. to I ate every single meal out uh, <laughs> How many times
0: did you eat Chipotle that year?
2: I ate I Chipotle. I bought Chipotle, 125 times. But no, just wait. <laughs> He's just... tracking it. No, I did. I looked. And that's not one. Version. That's
1: not one bowl. That's not 125 bowls. By the way. Yeah, somebody w- who runs 100 miles at once, yeah. they eat a lot more than one. I
2: would Chipotle buy Chipotle meal. for multiple days at once and put it <laughs> oh, in the fridge so I oh. didn't have to make the trip.
3: Oh, this is 125 <laughs> purchases with 348 <laughs> meals. You're Something stockpiling like it. Yeah, I was you're stockpiling, stockpiling Chipotle.
1: Like
2: yeah, I lived in an apartment. I had no food in the fridge. I, I didn't buy any silverware. <laughs> and I ate every meal out because I just lived
1: downtown. So I just walked outside and got okay. Food. So so your personal life, you didn't track your expenses. And then at the same time, you had some deals that were not stabilized. And so what you're alluding to is they were feeders, they were bleeding, you had to you had to park. So maybe tell us just real quickly, like when you're out doing deals, and you got to stabilize whether or not you're high leverage or low leverage going into something, oftentimes in the first one to three years, you buy a building and you go, "Oops!" Like, why did I buy that? You know, and so, sometimes a lot, oftentimes these things take some time before they stabilize, and you really your cash that you keep in your personal account. Is there as a war chest to protect you for when those things happen? So if you go off the rails and you go buy a bunch of deals that need to be stabilized, and at the same time you decide to eat chipotle 18 times a day, <laughs> you could maybe not have enough money to go stabilize your property. So you got to be you have to you have to protect your cash. I mean, there on some level there's a lesson there, especially as an early investor is. You know the the psychology of money is very interesting because once you have a few bucks in your pocket like you said you were like i'm set i'm good i'm gonna go play basketball live life do whatever like in your mind your perception was you're good but if you had been able to do a model on it. Now in reverse, you can go back and you can study what you did and you can figure out where you went off the rails. But now you do you see, have you found where the error was in your thinking now that you've looked at it? Yeah. I mean, the, the
2: biggest problem wasn't actually that I, I shouldn't have done it that long without tracking expenses personally. That wasn't the main problem. The main problem wasn't buying all these value-add deals. It was the partnerships that lost me all this money that I wasn't expecting to lose that I didn't consider as a risk. Mm. So like, I knew like. I could spend up to 150 grand here. It's fine. I'm going to buy more deals. I have a bunch of money. They're going to bleed. It might be off, whatever. I kind of have an idea of what that would be. Yeah, that's fine. Then I go buy a deal. and then I don't I don't consider like, huh, this $300,000 deal might lose me end up costing me like 200 grand. Mm-hmm. And that's what the combination of those three was the problem. One, each one of them by itself was like not great, mm-hmm. but it's fine. Um, and learn from them but combining all those three at once was what caused me the most like amount of problems
1: i bought a flip house once we'll go into that on my story one day but it was a four hundred thousand dollar house in lake oswego and we never finished it and somehow when we got to the end i lost more than four hundred thousand dollars on the house (laughs) it was i lost more than the house cost i still can't figure that out to this day (laughs) i just stopped flipping i was like well if that's got to be an achievement of some sort. We but you know <laughs> when to stop flipping. The the point is is that a lot of folks see only the upside in a deal. And it can be hard to understand what the downside is, even when you try to stress test or do whatever, there's a lot of unforeseen things that that can come about. And you can get into a deal where you go like, ah, it's a small deal. It's no big deal. We don't finish it, or it goes a little over budget. We'll have to do X, Y, Z. What you didn't see is that you can go out and do a $300,000 deal and it can lose you $200,000 of your cash because you have the wrong partners, it went over budget, it went over time, it had to be refinanced, and you had to be the guy to write the check because you put yourself in a situation where you were the only guy that could write the check, right?
2: Yeah, it, it was the people component was the biggest thing that threw it off. Like the deal itself was actually fine. Like it would have been a good deal if we had the right people, wrong the right place. wrong partners, wrong partners. Yeah.
0: Did did everybody have roles outlined going into that deal?
2: No, we were just all friends, which was a problem. Um, yeah, we should have had roles. So
1: we won't get too deep into partnerships, but yeah. it sounds like you like to do partnerships, and and you would would you consider doing partnerships again today? And would you consider the attributes of the partners you pick and understand yeah. that. Some are better than others based on your prior experience.
2: I still do pretty much all only partnerships because it's it is the way to go once you learn those lessons of who to partner with or who not to and how to structure it.
1: It's the most efficient way. Yeah. It's
2: the Le- fastest way. One plus one equals three. Yeah, like
3: <laughs> it's leverage. It's a great way to leverage and the ability to create a win-win. But then at the same time, it's just like risk. You have more experience now. You can mitigate that risk because partnerships have risk. That I think really hard to to understand and measure. I think that's where people get into problems is they always think the best of people and they don't ever want to think that someone's going to turn a little differently. So it's really hard to measure that. And the only way to get good at that is through bad partnerships. But now that you've been through some bad partnerships, and then more importantly, now that you've had conversations with other people that have bad partnerships, and now you're seeing the the similarities come out of both cases because it's all always people-oriented, now you're that much more experienced and that much better. So now it allows you to really tap into leverage with out that extended risk that goes along with it or at least the ability to mitigate some of it
2: yeah i mean i i think overall be lucky i experienced it so early that i did um because i mean it would suck to have way more money way later be way later in life and then learn that lesson then
1: oh you you still have some lessons to learn
2: oh yeah you're gonna give me some (laughs) advice i'm not gonna listen to it and then i'm gonna (laughs) learn the lesson
1: yeah it's just that's just not the way lessons work (laughs) (laughs) you're not you're not gonna learn them as well (laughs) until it hurts all right um any other Things we want to tap on for Trevor while we got him on the mic.
0: That feels like the the full, All right. full real estate uh, story of Trevor, yeah.
1: Well, we love Trevor. Trevor's a, a big part of what we do. And now the whole reason why we're doing the Deal Junkies podcast. So we look forward to many, many episodes. Of doing this is a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we hope you guys tune in next time.
0: No doubt.
1: Yeah, give us a test outro, outro right here. Let's uh, hear. Outro. That was it. That no, was no, it. give another one. <laughs> we, can, we can clip in another one. <laughs> that was perfect. Thanks for joining us on Deal Junkies Podcast, Episode 1.